This is Jim Fallon, Director of Project Narrative at The Ohio State University, and I'd like to welcome you to the first Project Narrative podcast. In each episode of the podcast, a narrative theorist will select a short narrative to read and then discuss with me or another host. Today, I'll be talking with Katra Byram, who has selected a text from a slam poetry performance called Behind Us, My Country by Babak Kasim and Usama Elias. As you'll soon hear, it's a narrative poem for two voices. Katra is associate professor in the Department of German Language and Literature at Ohio State and a core faculty member of Project Narrative. Katra has done important work in multiple fields, especially in narrative theory and in German literature and culture from 1848 to the present. All her work is marked by her interest in understanding how specific historically and culturally marked identities and experiences take shape in particular linguistic, narrative, and artistic forms. Kutcher offers a powerful demonstration of the theoretical and interpretive consequences that follow from this interest in her 2015 book, Ethics and the Dynamic Observer Narrator, Reckoning with Past and Present in German Literature from the Theory and Interpretation of Narrative series at Ohio State Press. Among Kotra's current projects is a book on novels and memoirs about mothers in the World War II era. Along with Faye Halpern of the University of Calgary, Kotra and I are co-editors of the book series at OSU Press on the Theory and Interpretation of Narrative. Kotra and I will now read Beyond Us, My Country, by Babak Kasim and Usama Elias. Behind us, my country. Everything that I am was born there. Everything that was home to me, the field where we played as kids, the smile of my first love, the old apple tree in the park, and the little lake hidden behind the mountain. The hot tea on the tea tray, the wrinkled storytellers, smile lines adorned their faces, horsing around on the way home from school. Waiting at night until my parents were asleep and then going out again. My brother's squeaky bike, Neruda's palms, and the smell of wet grass. Radios that broadcast tormented sounds as if they were melodies. My sister singing in the morning. My mother. My mother with her eternal money worries. And I don't know why, ladybugs. All of that was home to me. All of that was once home to me. But I couldn't stay there. Behind us, the war, my parents' fresh grave, the last clod of earth still rose down, still hasn't come to rest. That's how fresh my sorrow is, and I haven't processed any of it. I couldn't stay there. People talked about us as destined for death. Our people forced into trains that glide away into the smoke of the locomotives. Our doors smashed, display windows and shards. Our parents afraid, siblings abused and horrible reports from friends. The ones who were still there, most had disappeared. It was impossible to stay, not a single day longer. The next step out of my city was the last step out of my country, and the worst step then onto this rusty boat that will roll at first, that will hold us at first. Then it will sink give us up to the sea. In the sea, so bleak, 
The moon hides behind the clouds, the afterwards so dark you see nothing. For hours, nothing. And when I close my eyes in the dark, I hear my mother's voice. Around us, only the sea, as if our boat was the heart of the universe. I open my eyes and whisper to heaven, prayers are our sail. Life preservers will take care of the rest, but they can't carry hope. A man swims to me. You take over. I can't do it anymore. He's a year old, and his name is Bossom, and slides out of his vest into the internal, eternal dark blue. This way I become a father for the first time. In the water, by handoff, the man in the vest gave me his inheritance as legacy. Arrived in exile, I learned quickly. The most important words are visa, excuse me, and thank you. Arrived in exile, I saw a family reunited after a long time. How the father whimpered for joy, mute and from the depths of his being, with all the shame of a person who seldom cries. I followed the family's every step, but only with my eyes. Arrived in exile, but the soil of home sticks to the soles of your feet. Because I'm from there, and I have memories. I was born how people are born. I have a mother who loves me, and it breaks my heart. In the letters that she wrote me, I see how her hand has begun to tremble. When I say homesick now, I say dream, because my old home hardly exists. And if we stay here, we become like the beach, not quite sea, not quite land. And if we stay, we will become like the beach, not quite sea, not quite land. Arrived in exile, one crowd welcomes me, the other runs up its foreign flag. Sometimes you sense the love, sometimes you sense the hate. You, they look at your headscarf, me, they look at my passport. But don't be angry at them, Habibi, forgive them. They forgot love, they forgot the Bible. Wish them peace. No, show them, we're weeble-wobbles. Knock us off our feet and we'll walk on our hands. Knock us off our feet and we'll walk on our hands. Make the best of our lives until our lives end. And who knows, maybe I'll go home one day and everything won't have changed. Maybe I'll see our old apple tree or the playing field behind the rust brown fence and I'll embrace my siblings and I'll kiss my mother and happiness will bite its teeth into my heart. My name is Ahmed Youssef father of Bassam, and I am a refugee. I fled Syria. My name is Daniel Levy, and I am a refugee. I fled Germany. The year is 2015. The year is 1938. So, Katra, why did you choose this narrative poem for today's podcast? Well, I've been teaching this poem in some of my classes for a number of years. And the students are always very affected by it. They find it really powerful. And they find the experience of listening to it um, and of reading it very powerful. And so I thought it would be a good one to share here today. Great, okay. Now, there are a couple of translation issues that I'd like to hear your thoughts about. First, the translation from German to English. And then second, the translation across media from slammed performance to written text to our reading aloud in a way that's different from a slammed performance. 
Yeah. So, I mean, in this case, it's interesting because I think those um, those two issues of translation between language and also between setting are also very related because the language and the sound in the original German is very much tied to the fact that it was a slam poetry performance. Mm -hmm. And it has that sound. And I actually just want to read a short passage yeah. of it in German Great. Um, to, so that you can hear a little bit what it sounds like. And um, this is the part in the poem that, let's see, I'm going to read it again in English first. Um, the sometimes you sense the love, sometimes you sense the hate. You, they look at your headscarf. Me, they look at my passport. But don't be angry at them. Habibi, forgive them. They forgot love. They forgot the Bible. Wish them peace. No, show them. So this is what it sounds like in German. And I'm going to try a little bit to reproduce the pace of the original or mm -hmm. of what you can hear if you go listen to it on YouTube. So, um... Manchmal spürt man die Liebe, manchmal spürt man den Hass. Dir schauen sie auf, aufs Kopftuch, mir in den Pass. Aber sei ihnen nicht böse, Habibi, vergib ihnen. Sie vergassen die Liebe, sie vergassen die Bibel. Wünsch ihnen den Frieden, im Gegenteil, zeig's ihnen. Oh, great, yeah, it's really good to hear the original. And it just, you know, oral, uh, AU, uh, RAL, uh, yes. you know, signifying uh, in, in that passage very clearly, yeah. I mean, I think you can feel the original language. There's so much poetically going on in terms of the repetition of sounds, both consonant and vowel sounds and rhymes, which, yeah. of course, all of that gets lost in translation or is very hard to preserve right. um, if you're also preserving the the me the trying semantics. to stay literal the, the, to the semantics. semantics. Sense, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I mean, I really think you hear in that language also the slam tradition or mm -hmm. right. it sounds a little bit, I mean, you know, there were, there's especially the one line, um, sie vergassen die Liebe, sie vergassen die Bibel, where it sounds to me like something that could come out of Hamilton, except in uh -huh. German, right? Yeah, it's, yeah right, right. It's it's those kinds of rhythms, which you, you lose in yeah. the translation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so would you say anything about th that rhythm in relationship to the sense? I mean, just the sort of old sound and sense absolutely. kind of question? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And say? I think, and but this also comes into the question of talking about it as something that you would hear initially in a slam performance or talking about it as a text that's on a page right. that we can now look at and talk about. Because if we start looking at the way that the rhyme patterns work, we can start looking at the words that are associated right. by a rhyme. So right. the words hate and passport are end rhymes on these lines. Uh, so hate and passport are associated right. through these rhymes, as are the word fagassen, which is repeated twice in that line, which means they forgot. Right. And in the case here, what they forgot is love and the Bible. Okay. So we have hate, passport, and this forgetting of love and the Bible right. that are all rhymes um, through this passage. And then we have these long E sounds are love, Bible, and peace um, in those okay. last two yeah. lines. Yeah, great. So it's... So those strong associations through the sound really reinforcing yeah. these thematic... Uh, 
sort of associations, the thematic clusters in a way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, um, all right. So, you know, this poem obviously has a twist, and I, we do, I do want to get to that. Um, but before we do, I'd like to talk with you about the narrative leading up to the twist. So what do you see as some of the most uh, significant salient features of that, you know, the lead up? Well, I mean, I think the story is constructed in through these two voices in the lead up to the twist to really encourage us as listeners to more or less equate the experiences of the two different speakers. Right. So this happens, I think, in a number of ways. One is that all of the stations of the story, if you want to put it that way, are the same. They have childhood memories. They think about their mothers. They think about their siblings. Uh, we have then flight from the homeland, the need to leave, and then the actual flight. We have the simultaneous, so to speak, arrival in that yeah. we hear... Um, one arrives and the other arrives, and they face similar challenges when they arrive in exile. So there are all of these parallel experiences. Right. And those are really emphasized by the way that the final line of one speaker and the starting line of the next speaker often echo each right. other. Right. So that. Right. right. So one, you know, one inference, anyway, initially, mm -hmm. right, that I made was oh, they're brothers. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, do you feel like I'm overreading when I when I do that, or you feel like I'm following the lead of of the construction? Or yeah, I I mean, I do think that's definitely possible following the lead of the construction. Um, you know, behind us, my country, and then you know the next one comes yeah. right in, and it just you know the the us anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so the, associating the us with the two. Yeah, the two speakers, they are you know. we. It is a we in that way yeah. that's presented yeah. here. Even um, we we get that we get that we before we ever encounter the eyes, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe we could talk just a little bit about um, some of the thematic things that they do share in common, mm -hmm. right? So you, you mentioned them. Just maybe a little, elaborate a little bit more on, you know, childhood, um, family. Uh, memory, uh, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I think is striking about the childhood, the evocation of childhood, is how it really works with concrete images in both cases. So mm -hmm. we have these very specific Great. Yeah. snapshots of the kind of thing, you know, the images that stick in your head, the, fr the splinters of, of memory um, yeah. that are these really strong images that stick in your head. Yeah, yeah. There's almost like a, a kind of, um, you know, lyric uh, dimension in the sense of, uh, you know, evoking um, a moment, you know, a snapshot, as you say. Um, and then, you know, we get that sort of a series of, of these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that sense of um, attachment and loss seems to kind of come, come out through that a patterning of, of these um, lyric moments. Yes, it evokes um, a lost world, a world of yeah. sights and scents and uh, yeah. that that kind of very tactical, tactile experience yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, great. So then maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, what you said, pick up on what you said about the repetition of, um, you know, phrases uh, as we move from speaker to speaker, right? That, that's one thing that the translation does keep, right? I mean, um, 
you know, uh, so, you know, that was my home. Um, mm -hmm. Arrived in exile, you mm -hmm. know, that those are just a couple that, uh, that we get. Um, you want to say something about, about those, sort of the, the patterning yeah, of repetition? I think, you know, the one that you mentioned, arrived in exile, I think is a really important one because it's the one that appears, it actually appears four times in four successive turns. Yeah. And I think that um, it really, <laughs> in a way, it helps tell the audience where we've arrived, which is the focus on the exile. I mean, there's this past mm -hmm. that is lost, yeah. but the focus now is on where we've arrived, which is this place of displacement and right. of the experience of both of these people in displacement. Um, yeah, and that sort of gets explored more fully than the memory. I mean, the memory's there and it's important, but then it's sort of like, okay, here we are and let's explore that. Yeah, some right. of the longest passages are definitely of these passages of arrival and yeah. what that's like, of belonging and not belonging, of being welcomed and not welcomed. Right, right. Yeah, so that, that I think leads us to the um, image um, of the beach, right? The not quite sea, not quite land. Uh, you know, it's pretty evocative. But I mean, you have maybe further thoughts about that as a way to capture this arrived in exile. Well, I condition? think it's kind of interesting too because if we went from the beginning, which was so concrete and is so clearly evoking a specific place and a specific experience. Mm -hmm. In this section where we get that metaphor of the beach or we get the metaphor of um, what I've translated as weeble wobbles, the Steauf mention, um, or we get the metaphor of the the heart at the end and the teeth biting into the heart. Right, right, yeah. We've moved away um, from that very concrete experience into a much more universal or generalized or through these metaphors, a human experience um, that is not so specifically tied yeah. to a particular right. world. And right. this world of exile is a world that is evoked in those metaphorical right, right. terms. And yet at the same time, the, me the, the metaphor is one of space or place, right? I mean, it's a... It's a you know, the, the, so in a way that the, the, there's continuity with the contrast, mm -hmm. right? We think with the we, beach for sure. The beach, yeah, mm -hmm. that, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking mm -hmm. of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, the thing about a beach too is that there, between the waves and the land, the beach is what always gets battered. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. This is maybe the place to bring it up. But the beach is also a very powerful image from the context of this particular poem. So right. what's interesting here is that this poem was originally performed in 2015 in Germany amidst the wave of refugees from Syria. Right. And perhaps the most iconic image and the most searing image from that whole era Right. was the image of this of a drowned yeah. toddler boy on a beach yes. um, in the waves. Yeah, and I, so I yeah. in a way, this is this part here becomes metaphorical. Right. And in a way, 
it isn't metaphorical if you think of the audience who would have been listening and for whom that image is right. likely to evoke a uh, historical come here yeah. and, and it's very fresh right this right, would have right. just been in the news right 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 so that yeah the, the, the connection between sort of the intertextual and the extratextual and sort of you know the anticipation or uh, uh, even maybe assumption uh, that the audience would make that association to the historical event yeah yeah, yeah. and that particular image yeah yeah so um you know, one of the other things that's really, you know, in terms of events, right? In the in the before we get to the twist, um, is um, the delivery of the child, right? Um, Basem, right? Um, so how does that how does that play into some of these other things that we've been talking about? Well, one of the themes that we already mentioned that we get in this poem is the idea of family and of family left behind in the home country um, and of being separated from family, the idea of receiving the letters from the mother and seeing at a distance that the mother is, is weakening through her handwriting. So we get this idea of families disrupted and, yeah. and um, broken apart and that happens very dramatically in this instance where the boy's father gives up and hands the boy over right. to the speaker. Um, the the breaking off of of a familial chain, and then the unchosen, unforeseen attempt to pick up and move forward with some different kind of family that yeah. here you suddenly are, you know? Right, right. And in the original in the or in the recording that you can hear online of the performance too, the line here, it's there's a question in this line, and this is the way I'm going to become a father. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, by handoff in the water. Yeah. It's not what one imagines for oneself. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but then it becomes part of his identity, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's part of what he claims when he identifies himself. Yes, uh, absolutely, at the, at at the, the end. end. Poem, at right? the end, that has become the new reality, that has become the family connection mm -hmm. yeah. that he has. It's the only one that yeah. he has, we, we can assume, I think, yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, and there's maybe something about, you know, family and... Um, you know, being um, from the same country or from the same, you know, situation, right? So mm -hmm. that there's, maybe there's something about this experience, um, as you say, you know, in a, in a sort of technical sense, um, leading to new family formations, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe there's also a sense in which, you know, the commonality of the experience is, um, transcends what we usually think of as family. So that he would, you know, say, okay, yes, I will be fa become father. This will be part of my identity, mm -hmm. um, and 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 that move, yeah. Yeah, he says, you know, the, he says the man in the vest gave me his inheritance as legacy. It becomes his legacy too. Right. Um, right. They have this shared. It is a legacy, a, a, a shared legacy of the experience and of the flight. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so are, are there other significant things before we get to the twist uh, that you'd like to touch on? Um, well, maybe we should talk about the twist. And because other things we might want to talk yeah. about, we might come back to in the light of the twist. Right, right. <laughs> also. Okay, good. All right, so one thing about a twist, and you know, typically we think you know, narrative progression and things like that, is that a, a, a successful twist typically you know, is something that in retrospect we can see it, there's some preparation for it, right? We go back and we say, oh, okay, this, this detail, uh, I now see it signifies in a somewhat different way, uh, et cetera. Um, how do you see that? Do you think this poem, you know, conforms to that typical pattern? I absolutely do. Um, I think one of the first hints, or looking back, one of the first places we see this is probably in the mention, well, it could be already in the landscape, actually, from the second line where we talk uh -huh. about the little lake hidden behind the mountain. Um, and But I think also very specifically, we get in um, the second line, Baba Gassim's second line, um, the reference or the allusion to Neruda's poems, right. which, of course, would have been relatively new, right, contemporary. Right. In the 30s. In the 30s. Right. Um, and so this is already looking back. Yeah, and less likely to be circulating in Syria in, in, in 2015. In 2015. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. Right. So yeah. I think that that's already a place yeah. where we start to see it. Okay. Um, and I have to convict, I have to admit that I, I don't know a lot about the entomology of Syria. I don't know about yeah. ladybugs, <laughs> but ladybugs are certainly um, a, a German insect with a lot of connections, kind of cultural connections okay. and stories connected you, to it. Talk a little bit about some of those cultural connections. Well, um, there's a children's nursery rhyme um, that essentially goes... Ladybug, ladybug fly, um, your father is at war, your mother is in Pomerland, Pomerland has all burned down, uh. ladybug, fly, ladybug fly. And it's from the Thirty Years' War, actually. Um, but so this association of the ladybug with a background yeah. of war and destruction is there <laughs> right 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 so there's the the in the preface of that but the i don't know why right sort of you could see the poet working behind the speaker in that way right so invite again if you if you know that cultural context then you do know why <laughs> ladybugs are in the poem yeah right? and yeah. the the associations that are there yeah. exactly yeah and then there come much more concrete associations so um when he's talking about trains that glide away into the smoke of the locomotives, our doors smashed, display windows in shards. Yeah. Those are, of course, iconic images right. of trains taking Jewish victims to their deaths in the Holocaust, of the first destruction um, in the Night of Broken Glass. Right, of, yeah, right. in the yeah, in 1938. So... These are very specific references that, in retrospect, sure. right. we can see, see as mark, belonging to that story. Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. Well, then let's let's talk about some of the you know um, uh, sort of reconfigurations or reinterpretations that um, the twist kind of 
invites or at least you know pushes us toward or, or something like that. Um, um, so one one that st- stood out for me was the sort of a clear uh, mark of this narrative poem as a uh, where I've switched my reading mode from nonfiction to fiction, right? Um, and so, I mean, in one one sense, that's like, oh, all right, you know, but but maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the consequences of of that shift. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's that's also something worth mentioning to go all the way back to your first question about the difference between the original performance and say yeah. us reading it here, because I think readers, those of you listening today, listeners didn't get the same sense of this poem as people who would have gotten it had they gone to the club where this was originally performed. It was actually part of a performance um, by a troupe of performers, and it's largely also a comedy. There's comedy around it. Okay. (laughs) Um, And it's a group of performers who are all as they say in German, mit Migrationshintergrund, meaning they have migration background. None of them are ethnic Germans. They're uh-huh. all okay. people whose families have migrated to Germany, and they're mostly from the Middle East. Right. And so the two performers on stage with the names that they have and hearing and performing this play or this this poem, I think it's very likely for people in the audience to take their performance as a statement of truth and of autobiographic kind of testimony. Even though, if you stop to think about it for a second, it's impossible for it to be that because these two speak completely unaccented German. Uh (laughs) They didn't just arrive. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something about the invitation of slam poetry to associate the speaker directly with the story that's being told. Yeah. That I think yeah. the mode would be of those people speaking for their communities, probably. Right, right. If so not in, for in themselves. a way they're taking advantage of that assumption, expectation, convention, maybe even, and and twisting at that as well with this. Yeah, I think they're revolution. really working with it. It's another one of the elements, along with all of the parallels, that I think lulls people into assuming that they know yeah. what the story is about, which in twenty fifteen would obviously be about Syrian refugees. Um, And so in the moment when you learn that one of them isn't a Syrian refugee at all, um, it becomes fictional. Not only it becomes fictional, but I think it's in kind of a shocking way because it's working against all of these assumptions that have been just that. People haven't been thinking about them. They've just been accepting them Uh (laughs) as as assumptions. So I think it's there's a lot more... forceful surprise than when you and I are sitting here reading it and it's obvious to everyone from the beginning yeah. that it's fiction for us. Or that we, we were inhabiting other voices anyway. Right. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Whether we yeah. that inhabit yeah. inhabiting is going in the direction of fiction or not yeah. could still be open. Right. Yeah. Um. But then I think we take it differently because if you think of people up there if you think of members of the audience more or less assuming that they're hearing testimony on behalf of a community, right. say, uh-huh. and then you learn, no, one of these figures is in fact invented. Yeah. And the whole poem has been constructed to show the 
parallel nature of these experiences. Right. right. Then instead of becoming testimonial, mm-hmm. it becomes, I think, very political. Right. Good. In yeah. a way that the original is, if you assume that it's more or less straight testimony, that it's not political. Right. Right. So that just going back to a couple of things you said before about, okay, you know, 2015, you know, the Syrian uh, refugees are coming into the country. Uh, Germany, other parts of Europe. So, and there's this. You can correct me on this, right? But my sense is that the, the contemporary reception of that by you know people who are native to German and so on was this is an extraordinary event. This is this is something we've never seen before or anything like that, right? So part of the politics here might be uh, a kind of you know counter-narrative in a way to, to that one, right? And to, to make the parallel that you talked about between, um, you know, the Syrian refugees and, and uh, what happened in the Holocaust. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so people definitely saw it as an extraordinary event. In 2015, there were half a million applications for asylum in okay. Germany, uh-huh. um, which is a lot in one year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was there was a very clearly uh, well there were very different responses in germany so right, um, right. on the one hand this arrival of refugees sparked really uh, the uptick of far right politics in germany and in particular the success in the last half a decade of the alternative for Alternative for Germany party, which is the far right party. Uh-huh. On the other hand, there was a very strong what was called wel- I'm sorry, welcome culture uh-huh. of German citizens participating in all kinds of volunteer activities to support these refugees and to help them coming in and kind of parties at train stations, more or less, to, uh-huh. to welcome some of these yeah. trains coming in. So it was a very fraught uh, okay. yeah. political issue um, in the present. Right. And then we have the issue of taking that situation, which was so conflictual and debated about how to see it, and putting it next to a story of the Jewish victim of Jewish victimization in the Holocaust, which is and has been the consensus of post war German public culture for the last several decades and so it's that it's that it's that these two stories that are parallel one that is so um contested in the moment Mm -hmm. and the other which is so clearly not contested (laughs) right 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 and so the sort of the ethical judgments associated with you know this the the story of a jewish victim Right. Okay, we're all going to get behind it. Um, we're all going to get behind that story. We, you know, this is this is something that we've been trying to deal with since, you know. It's our responsibility. There's yeah, a yeah. there's a clause. I mean, the German post-war constitution includes the right to asylum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because of that. Right. 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 So then, yeah, when when you have this juxtaposition with one side of cultural. Uh, assumptions and and values, and then this other one, which, as you say, is more fraught. That's that's real doing really important political work. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, yeah, and and to the extent that they make it, 
you know, as you say, uh, sort of more, the twist lands with a real force, right? Then that adds to the force of the, the political dimension of the poem, I think. Yeah, and I think, too, this emphasis on, in this context, coming back to what we were talking about, it, that the emphasis in the poem comes to be on the exile and the yeah. where they are now. Right. Because I think they were speaking to an audience who had a choice to make about how to receive these people. Yes. And so it wasn't also just kind of an academic ethical debate, right. but I hear you are in this audience and how do you react yeah. to Yusuf and Bassem, <laughs> yeah, yeah. essentially? Right, right, yeah, good. Uh, yeah, and that may be um, also, um, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is th th there's so many parallels, right? But one of the big differences, of course, is that Yusuf has the child and Daniel doesn't, right? And And so... You know that may be, as you say, right? It's it's reacting to both, right? Um, the, the the refugee and the child, right? So one mm -hmm. generation and the next generation, and that that has a sort of more uh, urgency uh, in in 2015, um, or has a different kind of urgency anyway than the than the uh, Holocaust story. Yeah, well, I think I think that's true. And I think the other difference is, of course, we know, the audience knows sitting there how the Holocaust story ends, yes. which is there's this hopeful, right, there's good. this hopeful stanza toward the end where he says, says, and maybe I will get to go home. Maybe I will see my mother again. Right. And of course, in the moment that he says who he is, we know that no, <laughs> yeah. there was no going home. There was no mother to go home to that hope for the future is is a false hope. Right. But for the figures of Yusuf and Basim, it doesn't have to be. Yes. yes. Um, there Great. is, and, and the child, I think that's a good point, represents the fact that there is still hope right. um, for those figures. Right. That, that future can look different than Daniel's. They've been very similar up to this point, but from this point, they don't have to be similar. Yeah. And this is actually an irony of this is that, of course, Daniel is the f this figure of um, of the Holocaust and the victims of the Holocaust who today are out symbols of pure victimhood right. often right. are often used that way um, and are seen that way and of people deserving, of course, protection and support but right. in 1938 right. um, when countries from all over the world met in Evian France to discuss the plight of Jews in Germany and to talk about refugee policy the only country in the world to decide to take more refugees was the Dominican Republic wow um, so I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. The wow. U.S., um, for instance, had its strict quotas based on the Johnson-Reed Act of 1924, and they stuck with those quotas. Uh -huh. Wow. So, you know, so the irony is that Daniel here becomes this figure of, of course, we need, you know, Bassam and Yusuf to deserve our protection the way Daniel does. But of course, Daniel didn't get any. 
in when when yeah. he was actually in that situation. Right. So right. that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think one of the, you've already sort of started to talk about the the way in which the twist sort of reconfigures our understanding of the you know, sort of the temporal location of each speaker, right? So you know with that that um, passage. Um, who knows? Maybe one day I'll go. Maybe I'll go home one day, and everything won't have changed. Maybe I'll see our old apple tree, or the playing field behind the rust brown fence, and I'll embrace my siblings and kiss my mother. And um, you know, I think when we're first reading it, we're thinking of this as you know, time of the telling, right? It's 2015, uh, and then we have to say, okay, 1938. Uh, and you've talked nicely, I think, about how, okay, that when well, once we make that move, then the next move is to say, okay, well, no, you know, this this won't happen. Um, do you see other sort of effects on the uh, understanding of temporality, uh, either there or um, in some of the other lines? Um, I'm not sure. Do you have thoughts? Well, I mean, I think, you know, again, the, going back to what some of the things you were saying about uh, the markers of uh, that in retrospect we can see as, um, you know, preparing for the twist, right? Mm -hmm. So that the passage about the locomotives and the smashed windows and so on, right? That it takes on a kind of urgency, I think, maybe that, it, you know, it doesn't have when we're thinking about, you know, it, it seems so recent mm -hmm. in a way right there's a rather than okay you know this rather than ancient the ancient history of 1938 right yeah right. yeah yeah no i think that's i think that's a good point i think it's true um the parallel of course the point in a way is to have the parallel work so that the lessons from 1938 are brought into the present right but the effect is also that 1938 comes much closer right yeah, good. Um, because because of those same parallels. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that's often talked about in talking about the Holocaust is it's very hard to put yourself back into the space before the Holocaust now that we know what happened and to say, why didn't people leave? Or to put yourself in that mindset. And... Um, what happens here is again that it becomes a surprising thing again almost uh -huh. or a, yeah um because because we didn't know that that was the story we were coming to it's somehow we can see it freshly maybe yeah good good another thought and this is maybe getting a little um into some of the details of construction but um you know it strikes me that um, the narrative poem has to that that the revelation about Daniel has to be second, right? Um, and uh, because that's that's really the biggest part of the twist, right? Mm -hmm. So you get one twist with the idea, okay, that the poet and the speaker are different. It's, we move to fiction with with the Ahmad's declaration, mm -hmm. right? But then it's there's a bigger twist even with with that right so if that's if that makes sense right then it's almost like we could go back and say all right 
it has to start. You know, uh, Daniel has to come second all the time, right? In the turn taking, he's always got to be second, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I suppose if we had more time, and you know, we could we could look at maybe some of the ripple effects of that in terms of who gets to say what, and you know, uh, that kind of ordering. But anyway, does that make sense to you? That that yeah, yeah, um, I do, and I think. Um, it's interesting too. I mean, as you say, we'd have to go back and look, but um, but in a way, it helps with the encouraging of the parallels because it allows that first voice to plant some details that are very specific to and associated with the present situation. Yes. So that that becomes the frame. Yes. Right. Great. For hearing the second story. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I like that a lot. I think. I, th- I think that's. Very much our target, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, are there other things that you'd like to talk about that we didn't get to? I think that I have talked about most of the things that I would say about this poem on a first, a first nice conversation, and I, I would really encourage anyone who is curious about it to go watch it on YouTube because um, there are subtitles along right, with right. the German performance. Yeah, I've done that. It's, yeah, I recommend it too. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's maybe one of my my last um, suggestions would be that to go to go hear the whole thing in the German and to see the presentation. I mean, we obviously can't go and see the slam, right. the original slam performance, but see the presentation that the slam performers have put together to present on YouTube um, to get a little bit of the flavor back of, of what that initial performance and initial experience of it was. Because it really is, every year I have students come to class having watched it really powerfully affected by uh-huh, it uh-huh. and so yeah. um they're of course getting the surprise in a way that yeah. our listeners won't right but it's worth it's worth looking at right right okay great well katra thank you so much thank you for going first in our uh, <laughs> series here with the project narrative podcast well thanks for having me jim yeah and i want to thank everyone for listening and also say that we'd appreciate any feedback you might have uh, you can send it to us at projectnarrative at osu.edu, and, and Project Narrative, one word, um, or on our Facebook page, which is just, you could search for Project Narrative, um, or you could send feedback to our Twitter account, which is at PN Ohio State. Also, I want to uh, advertise uh, our next Project Narrative podcast uh, will feature Brian McHale, uh, and we're planning to record that on November 22nd. And Brian will read a series of sh- short narrative poems under the rubric of Stories with Holes. Thank you all. 